Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Have a Little Insight, the podcast where we share people's personal stories, lived experience, and expertise in the hopes of creating a kinder, compassionate, and more understanding society. I am your host, Jenny. This week, I am talking to Zach S. Rutledge. Zach is a certified personal trainer and fitness nutrition specialist and a certified brain health trainer, and he is lining up to start his licensed professional counselor master's in January of 2020. And we connected with Zach um, to uncover his personal story and battle with depression to propel the message that it does get better, and Zach is living proof of that. And to share a little bit of insight around a book that he's just written called The Depression Relief Playbook. Zach was a delight to talk to, and there are a lot of good takeaways in here. Please keep in mind, everybody, this is a personal story about depression. Zach and I are not experts, but the goal out there is to hopefully make sure that more people feel seen, understood, and that mental health is a real issue. So sit back, tune in. I hope you enjoy and there are some key takeaways here for you. If you do enjoy this episode, please share it with someone you love, your mom, your coworker, a friend, and please review our show on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us reach as many people as possible. With that, enjoy and here's Zach. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So maybe we can start, um, you can tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. So like you said, I'm a personal trainer and um, I'm actually a fitness nutrition specialist, which is slightly different from a nutritionist. I can call myself a nutritionist in New Jersey, but I, it's, it varies by state. So I just call myself officially what it is. Um, yeah, I've got a black belt in karate. I did that for a while. I'm finishing up a yoga teacher training. Um, I start shooting a movie in a, six weeks. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I, I'm going to grad school. I'm going back to grad school in January. <laughs> nice. Looking forward to that. Yeah, I really am. Actually, I really am. Nice. Yeah. Well, maybe we can start a little bit with your personal story, your personal battle with depression. Yeah, sure. So, when did you first, when were you first diagnosed or when did you first realize you were depressed? Like, I think it was a while ago in your past now, but how old yeah. were you? That sort of well, thing. Looking back now, now that I have the insight, it was something that was kind of popping up throughout childhood. And I had a pretty, uh, quote unquote, normal childhood, you know, pretty stable. There was nothing outlandish going on there. Um, and where things really spiraled out of control was I, I call it the perfect storm. It was the summer after high school and my best friend was killed. So, uh, like I said, it was the summer after high school. So I was just about to start college and so were my friends. They all left. I started and you know, you're, this was before social media. Um, so the entire support system is gone at that point. Uh, that on top of, there, there tends to be, and I don't want to speak for, I don't like speaking in um, absolutes, but in general, yeah. there tends to be uh, like a chemical shift in people in their late teens and early 20s. When people suffering from like OCD, depression or whatever, what have you, that's where things tend to really take hold. So I was, it was just everything combined at this one moment, uh, all kind of happened right at the age 18. Yeah. So that was the deepest, deepest part. And that was the part I had to kind of 
look back on when I was writing this book. Were you aware at that time at 18 that depression was what you were suffering from, that that's what was going on for you? At the time, I thought it was just grief. Yeah. And grief and depression are two different things. So grief, you have to go through, right? And it's weird unless you've been through depression, even if you've been through it, because like I say in the book, there's like different flavors of depression. But grief to me felt cleaner. And that sounds weird to say, but they have these mm-hmm. very odd feelings to them. There are very like specific feelings. Like I remember <laughs> this sounds very odd, but towards the tail end of my my deep depression, which by the way lasted about a decade, um, I remember saying it felt orange, and I remember at a certain point it felt white, uh, and at one point it felt like burning plastic. And I think I mentioned that in the book. There was a good point where that was very very tough. It was I was taking, and I talk about this in the book as well, the um, you know different supplements, but I was taking. Uh, saw palmetto. Okay. And yeah. I was like, okay, I want to give this thing a shot. And for people with deep depression, a lot of the time it, it actually ends up hurting you. So I remember that, that felt like just like the smell of burning plastic. This, this is very odd, right? For people who don't realize or who don't, who've never experienced it. So anyway, the deep, deep parts were, uh, I, I, I hate saying that, um, that was, it was different from the grief. It was on top of the grief. And I don't want people to think that depression is like always, always, always there, right? So it's not this one blanket thing that's always there. Because like I say in the book, there's different flavors, right? And there can be little peaks and valleys, okay? So you can have moments of levity. So at the time, you know, I would have a good week, you know, getting back to your question, I'd have a good week and I'd be like, oh, well, I'm not depressed. I'm just upset because my best friend died and my friends went away and all this stuff. And it wasn't until, man, I would say a good three years later when I was like, you know what, I think there's, I got to turn the arrow inwards. There's, there's something going on that's not just grief. Yeah. That's a very long winded answer to your question. Yeah. That's okay. I was going to say when you, um, reference, you know, it's not like that for other people. Mental health battles are often different and have different flavors for different people, even though we often classify them the same. Yeah. So I was going to just say to you, you know, what was it like for you? Mm-hmm. I You mentioned it took about three years for you to realize. So what did it feel like? Because you mentioned you had moments of levity, but obviously we associate with depression, with feeling down and... Um, well, I feel like using the word depressed, but that's relatively redundant. <laughs> but like, what was Accurate. it? What was it like for you? And then maybe what was that aha moment? There's something that triggered that moment where you went, "No, there's something bigger going on here." There were very few like aha moments. There were like mini, like epiphanets, I guess. <laughs> there were no like giant epiphanies, and so when I remember when I. When I, okay, so when, after he was killed, I went back to college for a couple months and I, I failed out. And I, I, I essentially spent a few months in bed, um, sleeping a lot. And, and when I was awake, it was just a really tough time just being awake. It was very, very hard. So uh, one of the things I did when I kind of realized this isn't going to work anymore was I said, okay, I'm going to start building myself up by building my concentration. And I did the, I was like, I'm going to start watching TV. I'm going to get through one episode of a TV show. It sounds crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And I did the worst thing possible. I started watching the news 
And it was just because I was like, oh, well, smart people watch the news and, you know, I'll start watching the news. And it was, you know, I quickly realized I don't need to know about all the murders that go on. And I don't need to know about all the awful things that are happening around the world on top of everything else happening in my world. Right. So that was the first time I like decided to take action. Right. Everything else I did taking action for until about the age Oh yeah. For almost a decade, it was all outward. So I was like, okay, okay. So I'm, it took me a few years to go back to college and I figured, okay, I feel lesser than everyone else. Um, feel less than everyone else. If I, if I graduate college, then that'll be a good thing, right? That'll, that'll make me feel whole. I was like, well, if I graduate with honors, I'll feel even better. So I did that. I graduated with honors and see now, as I did that, the challenging myself definitely helped. Okay. It, but it was the process of challenging myself. It wasn't the accomplishment. Once I got that accomplishment, I still felt, you know, hollow. I was like, okay, well, if I become a personal trainer on top of that, then I'll be like all of my friends equal, but I'll have this extra thing, right? It won't just be this honor grad. I'll have, I'll be a personal trainer on top of it. I got that. Eh, didn't really do much. I ended up, I, I play in bands and I was playing in, you know, some of my dream venues, playing in front of, you know, all these people. Eh. <laughs> I was, I was making films. I was, I was an undergrad in film, making films, winning awards, not doing it. So finally, like about that decade later, I was like, hmm, you know what? I got to turn this arrow inward. And I only did that through, um, one of the ways was working with clients. It was, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, like I said, I'm a fitness nutrition specialist, but I've been talking about fit, uh, nutrition with people for a long time. And when we would meet and talk, it wasn't about nutrition. Mm. <laughs> it was not about nutrition. Right. But through that, there was something, those deep relationships that you have. And also there was also, <laughs> they call it psych, psychology, right? So you're like kind of assessing how people are, but you're also like kind of assessing yourself in relation to it. Right. So I was looking a little deeper cause I was like, Oh wow, she's feeling this way. Maybe I feel that way too. Um, so that was one of the bigger changes was turning the arrow inward. That, that was definitely big. I mean, I was, I did start working out in my early twenties, like seriously, I got my, my black belt in my teens, but that was more just cause I loved karate and the fitness was a side product. I started lifting weights. Um, another quick note, and I think I, I, I mentioned this in the book, um, so I'm five, nine and 170 pounds, which is like nothing to even mention. So whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Uh, at that time I was five, nine, 124 pounds. Right. Yeah. So that was another, guy. that was another thing there. Cause I was, I was, I came out of high school about 135, still a light, but okay for a guy just out of high school. Right. Coming down to 124. If I got sick, there was nowhere to go. Right. Yeah, well, I think that's common, something common that we see in people who suffer any sort of like extreme stress or like with mental health, it can go one or two ways. Usually people either lose a bunch of weight or you gain a bunch of weight, right? Yeah. Especially yeah. with things like medication and, and those sort of things. I want to um, go back a little bit because you talk about your period of depression being from 18 to 28. And it sounds like you were accomplishing a lot during that time, which seems counterintuitive to what people hear about. Um, depression, were you still going through periods of like sleeping a lot or like not getting out of bed? Like, did you have periods of like, 
high activity, but also periods of just, I can't do anything? Or was no, it just kind of this like flat line of like, continuing throughout everything? Right. So it, it, sometimes it felt like a flat line, right? There, I was past that point of staying in bed. That was really the first two years was when I had really trouble just getting going. I think the hyperactivity is just my personality because I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I hate using the word cured, but I'm treated, I guess. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, I, I do all the tools that I write about, um, and, uh, and I'm busier than ever. So I think that's just my personality. I, I don't, I don't think it was like the, the depression driving me. I don't, I can go one of two different ways here, but I will say this. We were, we were talking about different flavors of, of depression. And one, call, one is called dysthymia, right? So if you're dysthymic, that's this low-level depression that kind of follows you around. And when something traumatic happens, you dip deeper than most people do and you have trouble getting out of the hole. In one way, you could say that's what I had. However, in psychology, right, in things like this, it's just kind of rough sketches. There are no hard boundaries, right? Because... It's not like a, a, in a way, it's a physical thing, but it's not like a, a table, right? It's not like something where you can see the ends of it. And everyone is a little bit different because it's almost like these self-built models. What I say is, and I'll get back to you know the whole point, if you're wondering if you're depressed, and this is kind of like my rule of thumb, if you're wondering if you're depressed, let's just say you are. Mm. Let's just say you are so we can start using some of these skills, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry I talk so much. No, it's a talk <laughs> show. I mean, that's what podcasts are about. Way, it's okay. Yeah. It, it's my job as the host to kind of try and like keep it narrowed. So um, obviously you went like from what you've said, you've gone, you went through 10 years of depression. You say that it was low level, like consistent kind of following you around in hindsight, like through your like early teens and possibly as a kid. So one of the things that, I'd like to touch on is like your book and then also your book obviously talks about the actions that you took. So Mm -hmm. when we talk about that experience, you went through all of these things, accomplishing college, playing in your band, but you had this kind of meh feeling like you never really got the, the joyous moment. It sounds like out of things. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. 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 So then you turned it inward and you started taking action. But in your book, so we'll talk about your book. So you wrote a book called The Depression Relief Playbook. For anybody who's listening, it's available on Amazon and Kindle. You can get it there. I checked. And the book outlines a lot of the strategies and actions you took to combat your depression and to work on getting better. And this is a message that I like to share with people that it does get better because when we're in the pits of something, whether that's high stress or you have an anxiety disorder or you're suffering from depression, these things do get better over time, even with grief, right? It gets, things get better over time. So in terms of your book, let's just quickly touch on that because we already talked about it. So what motivated you to, to write a book? This is another weird story, right? So Back when I went to grad school the first time, I was working in TV, and then I wanted to like kind of push that career a little further. So, so I went back to grad school, or I went to grad school for the first time, and I had people who were having a real tough time. They were moving, they were living in a new city, and they were just they were feeling kind of depressed, and they knew my past, and they were like, "Hey, what can I do to help myself feel a little better?" So I would have these conversations with them. I would I would you know tell them about all the stuff I would do, and then they'd forget it. So then I'd send it all to them in an email. So I'd be like, okay, guys, like these are like the bullet points here. And I ended up helping about three friends, I would say. 
And then when COVID hit, same thing happened, but it was different friends reaching out to me and being like, hey, what, you know, how did you get through these like real tough times? Because I'm having a real tough time right now. And I ended up going through all of my old emails and compiling them. And I had clients reaching out to me saying like, you know, they're having a real tough time. And I said, you know what? This is nuts. I, I, I kept joking. I was like, I'm just going to write a book so everybody can. <laughs> so that way I'm done. I can just give it to everybody. So that was what I did. I, I lost my job because of COVID, my full time job anyway. I kept doing the training on, on the side. And um, and I wrote the book. And uh, it was so um, gratifying. I was like, you know what? I'm going to change my career. This is it. Like, this is, I got to, I'm, I'm built to, to do this. This is my next calling was to go back to become a therapist. Yeah. You just hit on what I was going to say. Obviously, that was the catapult into applying for your master's and deciding to be a counselor. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the strategies. Obviously, the strategies that you used in the book are strategies you used in your battle with depression. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the strategies that you talk about in the book. So for anybody out there who's suffering from depression, I think one of the hardest things, at least that I've heard from people or personally experienced myself, is sometimes it's hard to get going. Absolutely. Um, and so starting with something small, and maybe we'll just go in order of the order the chapters go in the book. But the first thing you talk about in the book is mindset. So yeah. um, maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit, what you mean and what you say in the book around mindset. Well, I will say this, and you said it a little earlier, that it can get better. When you're, when you're dealing with people, this, this goes into the whole forgiveness thing, right? So like if when you're dealing with people and they're like, oh, it could be worse, and you'll hear that a million times, right? So after my best friend died and I was like, you know, just barely getting out of bed, uh, people would pop in here and there and they'd be like, oh, well, it could be worse. And I think what they were trying to say was like, you know, practice gratitude in a way. I think that's what they mm -hmm. were trying to say. But what I heard was, oh my God, it can get worse than this. This is as good as it's going to be. So that's, mm. I would recommend not saying that to depressed people. What I would recommend saying is it can be better. It can be better. That's the way to do it because those people feel so locked down and, and so under the water, they feel like they're never going to get out. Right. So say it can be better. The, the mindset chapter is actually tough and I'm, gl I'm glad you brought it up um, because it's not like a, a lot of the things I give people, like the, the tangible things that comes after the mindset chapter. Uh, but the mindset, you know, obviously is super important to get to get going. Um, but if anybody wants that chapter, shoot me an email and I'll send it to them so that way they can see it themselves. Um, uh, so that's on me. Just have them, you know, have them email me directly yeah. and I'll, I'll give them that chapter. Yeah. Because that because in a way, that's one of the most important one of the most important ones, you know, just getting that, um, that spark back to take that one step forward when you feel like there's no hope. So I know we can't give advice to people on how to do that, but how did you do that in your personal story? Sure. Um, the, get the spark back or, or climb or start my climb back. Start, start, get the, the motivation, ambition, or even, maybe the best word is just that little bit of energy to just take one action to start to like climb out of your depression. You know, it was so unorganized at the time. And I was, you know, like I said, I was 18 and I didn't have, you know, you're not an adult. Let's be honest. You're not nope. an adult when you're 18. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't, no matter what the law says. 
And I, I, did, I just wasn't developed enough to, to, you know, sharpen that sword on my own. It was, it was more like I happened to, it just, it, it was like the really long way around. One of the things that did it was I was playing in a band with guys who were really into fitness. And that was one of the things, um, just being around them, um, and I, and I was like, oh, I miss moving my body a lot doing karate. I wasn't doing much at the time. I'm going to start lifting weights. That was my gateway into it. Uh, so that was, once I started lifting weights, that was like the first like noticeable spark. Okay. Cause that was like a tangible thing I could see. I went from 124 pounds to 145 pounds then 150 pounds. I was like, oh, like I can actually make things change, you know? Mm. <laughs> like I can get stronger. I wonder if this would apply to other things in my life. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's an interesting point. Seeing that you can generate the change was yeah. the spark. And it's with exercise. We often hear that, like, it's one of the key backbones of all of our well-being and mental health, not just physically. Right. But like in our minds, like exercise helps increase your serotonin, Mm-hmm. Um, it gets you going, it improves your mood, it decreases stress. So it's not surprising to me to hear. I mean, I know in my own personal bad days, if I exercise, I feel better than before I exercised. I feel better afterwards and like things yeah. are easier to cope with. So, and, and, and I, I, this is a funny one too, right? How people see the world, like when you're depressed, you're like, okay, then I'll be a fit person in this awful world. But that's not the way it is. It's almost like you have this mess in front of you and everything just organizes itself a little bit. If you can see those gaps open up and you can see where you can take action and the world literally seems more manageable. It's not, I would argue that's not the same world. It's not the same world. After you work out, you're working in a different space. Your head's in a different space and you can see, like I said, actions you can take that you didn't see before. Yeah, I think that's very true with exercise. And it's been my personal experience as well. And I hear that from a lot of people, even if that exercise is just taking a walk, you know, just getting your body moving in some capacity helps a lot with our brains. Absolutely. Um, So with that, like seeing the pieces and organizing and putting it together, you mentioned in the book that um, you did work with your primary care physician or your family doctor, as we call them here in Canada, and Mm -hmm. you went to therapy. So I imagine that also helped in putting the pieces together or like finding those pathways. It did. I went to one and I didn't like it and I didn't go again. And I thought, okay, that's not for me. Uh, again, I didn't have the insight at the time. I, I, I wasn't mature enough at the time to realize, oh, you can choose a, a therapist that works for you, right? They're not at all going to work for you. You may have to go through a few. Um, I tried again a few years later. It was okay. We went, we, we started getting along pretty well. Then the guy moved away. I was like, Oh, that, that's rough. So they gave me to his partner and she, we were not a good fit. So I was like, okay. So I, I gave up there and it wasn't until I was in college and my psychology professor, it, his classes were so fascinating. Um, I actually, I took classes that didn't even count. I didn't even get credit for them. I just took the classes cause they were great. And I talked to him after class. I was like, Hey, you taking private clients? And he was like, yeah, come on by. And I saw him for a while. And that was a big difference. That was one of the, um, you know, like I say, it's brick by brick, right? There's no silver bullet to get out, but that was one of the bricks. 
that was one of the bricks for sure. Cause I found the right guy. We, you know, we, we, we had very similar outlooks and he gave me these tools. One of them, um, is, and I urge everyone to look this up, the Myers-Briggs test. Mm-hmm. I, I urge them to, you know, to see what personality type they are. We talked about this briefly before, I think. Yeah, we so, did. I know we did. And so, <laughs> so, but I, I, he's the one who had me take like the actual paper, like huge 300 question test, right? I mean, they're, they're smaller versions online, highly recommend. And, and that essentially, um, you know, I'm not going to go too much into that, but you know, there, there are ways your, your brain is built and it can show you like what personalities are, yeah, what personalities are good towards what careers, what, how they tend to see the world. And it's, you can gain so much insight from taking the Myers-Briggs test. So that was one of the things I gained from, from, um, therapy. Um, but it's hard to think of a reason not to go other than, you know, the idea of therapies for broken people, which is not the case at all. Right. You don't, you don't yeah. wait till you're, you're sick to go to the doctor, right? You go once a year just because it's better. Right. You don't wait till you're out of shape to go to the gym. So like, you know, it makes sense. Just go to a therapist. I I really think anybody can benefit from it. And it's just, it's a coach. It's an emotional coach. Yeah. I often say, because I've been to therapy as well, that one of the best parts about having a therapist is they're kind of an exceptional person in your life who's really there just for you and for your best interests and and what will work for you and how you can become like a better version of yourself. I don't know. There's just a difference I find in therapy where it's really just focused on you that I found really beneficial as well, which sounds like um, similar to what you got out of it too. And I, I like that you clarify in your story that it took a while for you to find the right fit. Um, Yeah. My whole journey back was a very long journey, but the benefit of that was I feel like it was so thorough and I tried every single thing under the sun. Um, so it was just that much more, it makes it that much better in order to get my story across. Right. To like, it's like, dude, I've tried everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. So it's not, there is no silver bullet. Um, I can say that with certainty. There is no silver bullet. There's not one thing you're going to do. That's going to, that's going to magically cure your depression. Um, so yeah, the, the, the bright side is I tried all these little smaller bullets. I tried them all, you know, and I figured out what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. When you mentioned taking saw palmetto or palmetto, I think. I think yeah. so. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that's a common side of thing with herbs or even with medication that there can always be side effects. Right. That, yeah. And, that and, nasty, and you could yeah. have the opposite intended reaction. Right. Right. I heard, so I ended up reading a few years later that people with deep depression should stay away from it. It just should be for people with, you know, uh, maybe dysthymic, I guess, right? Like the, the lighter depression. I, I do talk about supplements in the book and I do give that warning in my book about that one. But the supplements I do talk about um, should have no negative benefits or I'm sorry. Yeah. No negative side effects. Yeah. Only benefits uh, unless you, you know, you just have to tell your doctor in case because turmeric, I, I talk about turmeric in the book. That's one of my favorites. But, you know, in case you take something like a blood thinner, turmeric may actually be a little um, 
make it too effective, make your blood thinner too effective. So you got to, you know, just talk about it with your doctor. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to always consult before taking, I think, especially with herbs and like natural supplements sometimes. I mean, I do a lot of natural supplementation. I've taken a lot of herbs in my life, but, um, sometimes there can be a misnomer around herbs that they're not like it's natural. So it's not going to have a really profound effect, but they can work quite profoundly and quite strongly. So it is important to work with somebody who's educated, whether that's your primary care physician or a naturopath or someone who, who can help you build the bricks, I guess. And they can see, they can see everything, you know, and they know how they interact. Yeah, exactly. They can see everything from the, from, you know, zooming out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other things we've touched on exercise and we've touched on small victories, which you talk about in the book. Nutrition, I think, is it's kind of self-evident. But I mean, also, when we feel bad, we tend to go to junk food the the most, at least personally for me. I'm like, bad day. I want chips, you know. But um, the other thing that I think that was interesting in your book, you talk about medication. I was it was interesting in your book because I had never heard of SNRIs before. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of people are familiar with SSRIs, Prozac, Wellbutrin, that sort of thing. But you had mentioned that SNRIs helped because of also your chronic pain condition and that it blocked yeah. neuroepinephrine as well. So that was yeah. obviously, was that a recommendation from the therapist you were seeing, like the psychologist or your doctor or? No, this is, so no, the therapist asked me if I wanted to do medication and I was 23 at the time. So I said no. And he was like, okay. I'm like, it's up to you. And, but, you know, I still, I still believed a lot of things that just weren't true about medication at that time. Uh, and plus, maybe things were a little different back then. It wasn't until, you know, four years ago, my primary care doctor, she, she was the one who said, she's like, you know, uh, you're, you're fighting this uphill battle. You're doing all these other things. You know, you, you have these depressive tendencies, plus you have this chronic pain issue going on. You know, there's this SNRI, it's worth a shot. So, um, and, and the, how she hooked me. So I, 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 excuse me, I was resistant for a while. She knew, she knows my personality. She's like, you know, you can be that much more productive. And I was like, sold. <laughs> so <laughs> I did it. And yeah, it worked really well for me. I, I just have like, it's not a major thing. I have a scaling thing in my neck that, so I have pain running down my arm, nerve pain down my arm, which was, you know, it's a nuisance. It's not great, but the mm-hmm. SNRI really helps with that. I believe they give it to people with um, fibromyalgia as well. Okay. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. That was something with my doctor. Um, cause I've taken SSRIs in the past and, uh, the way my doctor explained it to me was what you're, where you're at right now. She's like, you don't even have the, like, she's like, you need a little bit of help just so you can even start to make the progressive changes. So, mm. I think mm. it's something important, at least for me to reference when we do this right now, yeah. is that medication doesn't for everybody have to be forever. Sometimes yeah. it's like the boost that you need so you can start this, how my doctor explained it. It's the little boost that you need so you can start to put the bricks in place to start to climb out, right? That's great. Yeah. That's great. And I love that you said that because so many people, that's the one, believe it or not, that's the one that gets the most resistance. Like me, I gave that, that was the most resistance. I tried everything under the sun and that was last. But you know, if I had done that first, I could have gotten here maybe a little quicker. You, you know, we'll never know. Yeah. Um, but it was nice because I tried everything else and I knew that I could get by without taking them. Um, but then that was like the final, the final thing that really got me where I needed to be. 
right? But yeah, that, that, I, I love that you said that. Yeah, and, and it doesn't have to be forever. I know for me, since I did everything, you know, everything under the sun yeah. um, that I could possibly think of, <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't foresee myself coming off of them. I don't want to come off of them. And I'm lucky enough to where I don't have, uh, I, I don't have any side effects right now. No, no unwanted side effects. Um, now, I did have some the first you know, the first few days, the first week, that was, those were the hardest. I would get really, really tired and, um, all kinds of, you know, I had a weird feeling in my jaw and that sounds weird. I had a weird feeling in my jaw. Uh, I, oh, trouble sleeping was a big one, but, but gradually that all tapered off. And honestly, I felt, I felt remnants for almost a year. Like, and it wasn't bad, mm-hmm. but I felt you know, I could tell that there were things for like almost a year. The first like week or two, that's when I knew I felt drugged. I was like, okay, I, I tried this and maybe I'll come off of it soon. Uh, but I'm glad I stuck with it. And, and, and that's another thing is I highly recommend people just stick with it um, just until those, those side effects subside, and then they can see, you know, get, get a clearer picture of how it, how it works with you. Yeah. I think that's a good point too in, not just in medication, but like, I'll touch on that as well. But with anything that you start to try to dig out that you stick with it for a little bit, especially I think if you're dealing with a situation like depression or chronic anxiety, it takes a while for these things to start to work. And my personal experience with medication was similar to you. I had side effects for different side effects. I was on a different medication, but I had very vivid dreams. I had really bad digestive problems in the beginning, Mm. but over time that I was like, I don't want to stay on this. This is terrible for me. But over time, those side effects go away. And this is another reason why I think it's important to continue to work with your physician or with your professionals who you build your team around is because if you do ever decide to come off your medication, there is a period, a weaning off period that's really important as well. So for anybody who might be trying medication, who might be listening, it's important that you don't just stop cold turkey. And Absolutely. and you talked about that, I think, in your book as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. No, that's, that's really important. Yeah. So there's a couple key things that you said. There's one thing in the book we haven't touched on. We kind of touched on finding a therapist is like building a team. Um, which I really liked in your book, but something you said that I thought might be fun to dig into a little bit is it's helpful to see the difference between the world and my world. Uh, yeah. And, and that really hit me because I find sometimes that I have a hard time with the world, like outside of me. And that can often like bring me down or cause me more stress, anxiety. And I thought it might be just uh, an interesting thing to kind of dig into and elaborate a little bit on. I mean, I know we touched on it a little bit with the news story and stuff, but yeah. yeah. But the thing about the news, right, was <clears throat> I had no control over any of that. I have no control over mudslides in China uh, and, you know, and in all the awful things that happen around the world, you know, and to an extent, you know, you want to be informed, mm-hmm. but there has to be a point. You know, there has to be a point where you only have so much focus, right? And so much, so much energy. And, and you've, you've got to kind of shift that, you know, towards what you can control and what's, what's in your world. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just so important because people, I know quite a few people who just live on, um, they'll have two cable news channels going and they have, they're on and they're just like so tapped in and it's like, and they're, but they're so tapped out at the same time. It's funny, right? Because, you know, things can be falling apart in their own lives and they're just so glued to it. it could, it's almost like an addictive thing, you know, this, this like endless scrolling. 
I want to call it infobesity, right? <laughs> it's just, it's just endless. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I like the reference there on what you can control and what you can't control. Cause I've done a lot of episodes around different things that can help with mental health and stuff like that. And I think that's a key focus and something I often have to remind myself of too, is what can I control in this situation? You know, yeah. what are the little steps I can start taking, um, that work like that? So maybe we can touch on, you, you say you're still on your medication that you still, so do you still feel that you are at a predisposition if you, let's say if you weren't on medication or even with the medication to suffer a depression again? Yeah, I think so. The way I feel, and I could be wrong, but it's just the way I, I, I just feel that it's just like a chemical thing. I, I, you know, it, depression does run in my family mm-hmm. and I feel like it's just my body doesn't create the, the amount of chemicals that I should be creating. That's the kind of the way it feels for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there are different types of depression, as you've mentioned before, too, even with chemical and situational depression. So they are yeah. different. But uh, what I wanted to touch on, because I saw it in some of your other interviews, too, is maybe a big thing that like key productivity people work with or, you know, um, different, I guess we can call them gurus, is like morning routines or daily routines. So mm-hmm. do you have routines that you continually use that you find keep you on track and keep the depression at bay? Yeah. So I like, I, I don't know if it's keeping depression at bay, but it keeps me, it keeps me productive right now. Um, and yeah, I, I guess in a way it, it would have helped me in my deepest depression. So, so it's hard for me to like say whether I'm just improving my life in general, or if this is fighting depression or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I do have a yeah morning routine where first thing I do, I brush my teeth, drink a, a tall glass of water. I'm looking over here. I don't know if this is, are we on video or is this just audio? We are. They can't see, but they can hear you. Okay. So they can hear me looking over to the side. Yeah. And I'm looking over because <laughs> I have my, I have my list. I have a daily list that I make and um, I'm looking at it right now. First thing I do is I drink a glass of water. I literally make copies of this list and I cross it off as I go. Okay. And then I'll, I'll have breakfast and I, and I just, um, you know, I have my, my vitamins that I take, you know, and I've got to assume that, yeah, that's going to help with depression too, because uh, one of the things I take is flaxseed oil, right? Yeah. And then there's omega threes. Yeah. Really good to get that inflammation down, right? I, one of the books that I recommend in my book is the anti-inflammation diet. Yeah. Uh, you know, all about bringing the inflammation down. Some people think that depression is brought on by inflammation. Some people, and I should note this, depression can also come from this because because sometimes people think it comes from one thing, right? And we talked about that a little bit, but it yeah. can come from different things. So it could come from from inflammation for some people. For other people, it's actually. Uh, an imbalance in their gut. So people are giving, um, they're getting probiotics because you actually create more serotonin in your gut than you do in your brain. Hmm. So that's like one of the newer, uh, studies or, or areas of interest, I should say. Um, so yeah, like getting everything in order, it all just kind of feeds itself, getting your physical health and your mental health. It kind of works together, right? Yeah. Well, that makes sense. It's one, it's one body. It's one thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Back to your morning routine. So you wake up, you have a glass of water, you brush your teeth, you yeah. have breakfast. Is there other components to that? Oh, good Lord. I'll drive you nuts, lady. A lot of this is very individualized. So I, I have, you know, the supplements that I need to take. Um, so up here, I, I'm, I'm from New Jersey. And um, in the Northeast, a lot of people tend to be low in vitamin D. So I take a vitamin D. Yeah. Because um, I, I was very low in vitamin D, I found out. Um, 
other things. <laughs> okay. So I have this anterior pelvic tilt that I'm working on from so much cycling. So yeah. I do those stretches every day. Um, I try to, I play bass. So I try to play bass every day. I try to get 30 minutes of reading in a day, just of like, of, of just fiction, just purely for enjoyment, escape. just purely enjoyment. It's, it's actually really good for your brain also. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I have a meditation routine in here. Yes. Yeah, so I have like, and then I'll have underneath that, like, um, you know, there's the things I need to get done for that day, specifically yeah. that day. Yeah. Yeah. But I have, I have a list of about 18 things that I do <laughs> that I try to get to, that I try to get to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think yeah. trying is the key part, but I think routine plays a big role in a lot of things, right? Like starting your day a certain way every day can, yeah. uh, can make a big difference. And I, I actually, I'm a big fan of lists like this for people with anxiety or depression because almost like a pilot, right? When things start to go wrong, they don't get like emotional and say, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And try to figure it out. There's a checklist. Yeah. And they say, next, I'm going to do this. Next, I'm going to do this. And that's almost what this list is. This like get things done list. Because I know if I'm feeling a little off, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm over that depression hump, so to speak, but I still have bad days and bad moments. Yep. Um, if bad things are happening, I'll just start knocking out some of this list, right? And it's and it just it, it works its magic. It just, you just let it do its thing. Yeah. So I, I think it's a really helpful thing if you if you can create your own checklist. I thought about creating one, and putting it in the back of the book, but everyone has such different. So unique. Lives. I, yeah. Yeah. I decided against it. And I th I like the checklist idea that you talk about too, um, because in episodes we did with people who suffer from anxiety and my personal experience as well is as soon as things start to get a little bit harder or things like say you're, you start feeling a little bit more depressed or you start feeling more anxiety or more stress. Usually the things that benefit us the most go out the window first, ironically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I like the visual reminder idea too. I mean, you mentioned in our, in our talk before that you use a, a written agenda. And I do a lot of handwriting by hand too. I find it really cathartic and helpful in terms of remembering things too. And I'm sure we could talk about this forever, but I'm not sure people would want to listen that long. But yeah. as we come to a close, something I always like to do on the show is um, ask that if there's one insight that you can leave with people who are listening right now, what would it be? Um, I'm going to go back to that forgiveness and of course, you know, we always talk about forgiving ourselves, but when it's, when you're depressed, you tend to be not only hard with yourself, you tend to be really hard with other people. And the thing is, they can't understand all that bad advice you're going to get. They can't understand. They're not against you. It's not like the, the whole world is against you. It's just, they don't get it. They're not in your shoes. So you have to forgive them as well. And that can go a pretty long way. Like you can still be friends with somebody and still love somebody, even if they're giving you the wrong advice. Mm, I like that. Yeah, thank you. It reminds me of, um, I did an episode a little while ago on mindful self-compassion, and uh, mm. very similar, talking to ourselves, forgiving ourselves, talking to ourselves like our best friend or our parent mm. or our, you know, in good moments, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for sharing your story and coming on the show. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Taking a mini break from social media right now. I put everything on hold. So if anybody wants to contact me, just email me is the okay. best way to, to get me. And like I said, I'll send them that chapter. It's just Zach S. Rutledge at gmail.com. 
and I'm, I'm happy to chat with anybody. Perfect. And we'll put your email address in the show notes as well for people and uh, a link to where people can find your book as well. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Zach. It's uh, It was a pleasure. Uh, it was great. Great meeting you a second time. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. And thank you to everyone who is listening. Hopefully you had some takeaways from this episode on insights with depression and that you have a little bit of hope that it does get better because it does, folks. It's brick by brick, one step at a time. And building that team like Zach and I talked about around you to help build those bricks and put it together. If you found this useful and you think you know somebody who would benefit from it, please share it with a friend, a loved one, your mom, a coworker. We are available everywhere you listen to podcasts. If you're looking to get in touch with Zach, you can email me at havealittleinsight at gmail.com or you can reach out to Zach directly. His email again is Zach S. Rutledge at gmail.com and his book, The Depression Relief Playbook, is available on Amazon. It's nice and short, folks, only 49 pages to get through there, which is super helpful if you're feeling stressed or in a crisis. And speaking of which, if you are experiencing a mental health crisis, if you're having suicidal thoughts or you think you might be depressed, I highly encourage you to reach out to a loved one, your family doctor, or someone else for support. You can also reach out to the Ottawa Crisis Hotline, and their phone number is 613-722-6914 or 1-866-996-0991. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Hopefully there was some key takeaways and some understanding you can build in your life if you do know somebody who's depressed or a loved one that you might think is depressed. Again, just a point of reference, this is a personal reference story of Zach's and mine. We are not licensed professionals, but we will be looking to do an episode soon with a certified counselor or psychologist who can expand more on the professional aspects of depression and dealing with mental health. So keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, I hope you have a great week. You're enjoying the sun from summer that is on the horizon. And uh, I look forward to connecting with you next time. Take care, everybody.